and welcome to another episode of the Buckle Bomb Show here on Bomb Media Productions. I'm your host, Bobby, and I'm so happy to be here to talk professional wrestling with you once again on our somewhat infrequent schedule. So Wednesday, we got a big dynamite tonight, a big match that I'm looking forward to that we'll talk about a little bit later on. Am I joined by my broadcast partner today? Yes, we are. Anthony Roan is here. How you doing, buddy? Good, buddy. I like that hot tag segue. I'm getting ready to roll into this, and uh, I think we're going to have some opinions on this. Yeah, I, I got a feeling uh, after our uh, GIF war that I posted the other day, uh, that was pretty fun, and uh, the, what we were talking about there could be a pretty heavy subject that we will be getting into. But first off, uh, speaking of heavy subjects... Uh, the first thing we're going to talk about here is Barry Windham. Uh, over the weekend, uh, he's in ICU right now due to having a massive heart attack over the weekend. He, uh, Barry Windham, if you don't know, is a former is a WWE Hall of Famer as a member of the Four Horsemen, and he's uh, he's the son of Blackjack Mulligan. He's a former NWA World Champion, former WWF Tag Team Champion. And he's also the uncle of Bray Wyatt. In fact, he, he is named after him, Wyndham Rotunda. Um, his uh, Bray Wyatt's sister, Mika Rotunda, has uh, put out a GoFundMe account to help with the uh, health costs and the hospital bills for... Uh, for uh, his ICU and for his uh, well for his bills, and if you can uh, go there, I would. In fact, let me. I don't have a link here. Let me pull it up. Oh nope, I already have it up. So there it is. Um, you can't see it on the screen, but it's GoFundMe.com/slash/www-hall-of-famer-barry-windham-in-ICU. All dashes between each word, and. Uh, you can see what Mika has has set up there and what she says, um, but this is this is very sad news. Um, we all think that a certain character on TV right now that Bray Wyatt is portraying is sort of based on Barry Windham. Uh, what do you think of this uh, sad news that we're getting here? It is really unfortunate. You know, I think back to the beginning of the year when we went through this with Scott Hall. Um, Unfortunately, we all know the trope that being a professional wrestler isn't uh, a conducive to a long lifestyle, especially the wrestlers from back in those days. Um, so unfortunate to see what the entire family is going through. Um, like you mentioned before, we both think Uncle Howdy has a uh, significant place with Barry Windham. Um, and... I'm sure we can add the uh, GoFundMe link in the b- description of this episode. It just, it's just—it's mind-boggling. Yeah. It's mind-boggling to me that in this day and age, there's so much. There's so many things that are wrong with the healthcare in this system, or the healthcare system in general. Um, the other thing that baffles my mind is we have a billion-dollar corporation that is contracting their talent so they don't have to worry about future health care. And you were talking about people who, at that point, 300 days a year, 
were putting their bodies on the line for you with minimal time to rest, being worried about taking time off to heal injuries because they were in fear of losing their spot. Um, fortunately, I think we're starting to head in a better direction in that sense. But uh, it, it just it's a sad story the whole way around. And yeah. Yeah, the, the amount of money that he's drawn, you'd like to imagine that he wouldn't need a GoFundMe. But the fact is, I mean, even with a family that has been in wrestling for multiple generations and many people along that family tree, it's it's kind of heartbreaking to know that they need to go fund me. Um, they've raised over $27,000 so far with a $200,000 goal. So if you can, please go and uh, donate. If you have the ability, you know, obviously... Not everyone's going to have the ability, but if you do, please go and donate. I will put the link down in the description when I upload this video for sure, so go check that out. All right, we'll move on to our next topic here. Uh, Ricochet has won the SmackDown World Cup on SmackDown this past Friday night, defeating Santos Escobar and uh, defeating Braun Strowman before that. Of course, this all leads to a match with... The great Gunther uh, for the Intercontinental title. They have announced that that match will be December 16th. What do you uh, think about Ricochet winning the World Cup? And do you think he's got a shot to beat Gunther? You know, it was actually really awesome to see what the final was. Um, because you had Prince Puma versus not Roosh. Um of course, Ricochet getting his come up in a little bit, well deserved. Um, absolute star when he was in NXT. This is a little bit of a highlight of Triple H guys getting some shine on the main roster right now, which is pretty cool. Nobody deserves it more than Ricochet, in my opinion. Um, of course, he's facing off against Gunther, who is, <laughs> let's face it, powerhouse. Um, no made the transition from the independence and in particular the UK independence scene and made a splash in WWE so far. So hats off to him. Fantastic Intercontinental champion. Um, I'm excited for this match because it's powerhouse versus lack of better terms. And Bobby, you hate this flippy shit. Um, I think it's going to pose an interesting match. I think it's going to be an underrated match. Like you look at it on paper and you think, how like it doesn't make sense kind of like what we thought when uh ray mysterio was going in against gunther we thought gunther was going to chop him one time and that was going to be ray's retirement um but the chemistry i think those two could have just based off the stare down at the end of smackdown alone i i think we're in for a classic match that nobody's going to expect and let me be very clear i i don't hate flippy shit I don't. I'm not Braun Strowman. I don't diss flippy floppers. It's, it's when the the flip flopping is just is it AEW? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. No. It's when it's when it's there's no story being told. Ricochet is actually really good in the ring. He's got good psychology and he's gotten uh, way better since his start in WWE. I would argue he was a little too indie rific beforehand but he he's gotten he's improved tenfold since coming to wwe and uh yeah i'm really excited about this 
match with Gunther. I think Gunther does continue to hold on to the title. But uh, I could see this maybe becoming a feud that gets us maybe through the WrestleMania season. We'll see. Uh, I think that could be very interesting. And then Ricochet gets the big win at WrestleMania finally. You know, I I think you're right about that. I think Gunther's going to retain, but I have to say, man, how many super kicks were in that uh, Uso versus Kevin Owens and uh, God, who was his tag team partner in that match? I didn't even know who his tag team partner was because it was just super kickrific. It's almost like they were throwing a certain kind of party. It might be yeah. trademarked by AW though, so we can't say it. Uh, the Usos are up and down with me. I think they can throw on a good match, but they do get stuck into the uh, the high spot fest sometimes. But, uh, yeah, as far as Ricochet goes, yeah, I think this will be great, and I'm looking forward to it on uh, December 16th. All right, and, you and know, of course, we have the very next night, we have a certain fun show that we'll be going to. So so my here's my theory about this. Gunther's going to retain. We both know this. Ricochet is going to have a great showing. I think with this going into the road to WrestleMania and the uh, announced plan to put money in the bank back on the WrestleMania card, why is it so far-fetched to say somebody like Ricochet, who high flyer, has the talents on the ladder, we've seen it in the Indies before with him, why is it so far-fetched to say that he may not be our next Mr. Money in the Bank? I don't think that's far-fetched at all. I think... I think uh... I'd be down for that as long as he's not booked stupidly to lose the money in the bank. And I got no problem with Lost in Theory. We can jump to that because you weren't here when we talked about it before. But, you know, I've got no problem with Austin Theory losing the money in the bank match. But to... And I even don't necessarily have a problem with him using it on the U.S. title especially since they were booking him to win the U.S. title, and I knew that's where they were going to go. But, you know, you could have told some story about maybe him being pressured by the bloodline or something ahead of time or whatever, Mm -hmm. and kind of made him a little bit more of a chicken shit heel. Chicken shit heel is fine. A stupid, dumb heel is not. You know, just having him be an idiot and go out there when it was an open challenge anyway... For the U.S. title, that I disagreed with. I think I thought it made him look dumb. I don't mind him looking chicken shit, and not wanting to go after Roman, but I think, uh, you know, I think the way it was done was just wrong. But I think we can overcome that. I think Austin Theory now he is U.S. champion again. We'll see what happens there as well. So and yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to this match for sure. So when it comes to um, Austin Theory with the cash in and everything like that. Have we had an actual worthy Mr. Money in the Bank since, and I know this is going to shock you, Boombox Brock Lesnar? (laughs) I mean, think about it. I I was all for Otis winning. I knew WWE had the issues with the COOF, so they had to make Money in the Bank a little bit different that year. I personally thought it was one of the better Money in the Bank matches. It was an interesting concept. Um, we still don't know what kind of fucking necromancer brought Ray Mysterio back to life after Baron Corbin threw him off a Titan Tower, but you know, here we are. Um, but I thought it was cool to see Otis win that 
they did the same thing with Otis and the Miz, if you recall. The Miz beat Otis and took the Money in the Bank title from him. That literally materialized to nothing. And then you have Austin Theory in the same situation where he cashed in on an open challenge with no storyline. Granted, I do love the new aggressive Austin Theory we're seeing. Uh, long overdue. We actually spoke Monday night about how it looks like Austin Theory has been working on his physique. Uh, dude's got that Kylo Ren with going on there. So, uh, yeah, man, I, I'm, I think he's in a good spot, horribly booked with the Money in the Bank briefcase, but I'm interested in seeing what this leads to going forward and uh, how he's going to perform in the Rumble because now that they're booking him like this, it doesn't make sense to have him come in for a cup of coffee, if you will. Right. Absolutely, I agree with that. All right. We'll go ahead and move on to the next topic here. And this one's a little more heartwarming. About seven weeks ago, we got the sad news that Tristan Nash had passed away, the son of Kevin Nash. Um, Tristan was a big part of getting the Click This podcast off the ground and getting that going. And last week on December 3rd, Kevin Nash put out this tweet saying, I never ask for anything, but I'm asking anyone that is willing to subscribe to my podcast, click this. My son passed away, passed away six weeks ago, and he wanted 100,000 subscribers so he could get a plaque from YouTube. I want to put it next to his urn. Thank you. And the wrestling community responded positively and quickly, led by none other than Tony Khan, saying he subscribed and everyone else should as well. And... We got wrestlers down here, Kid Bandit, Ricky Morton, some uh, wrestling commentators and all that replying, Chris Van Vliet. And within hours, if I'm not mistaken, and I could be wrong here, but I believe when Kevin Nash put out this original tweet, they were sitting somewhere close to 70,000 subscribers. And within hours, we, we hit 100,000 and Kevin Nash came back with this tweet. I can't thank you enough. I love you all. I know he watched this. You made my year not sting so much. It will be a part of his life. You've brought a beat man, a beat down man to tears. Again with all my heart, thank you. And and they have this graphic that he retweeted. Uh but you know, this was a great great story. I love the podcast. I know you watched part of the first one and was turned off by some things about it. And you, I don't think you've really listened to it since. Um, but that aside, uh, this is really a, a great story in of itself. And, that you know, for Kevin Nash and for his son, Tristan and, and the podcast that they made together, uh, this was just great. And I think really the wrestling community coming together and getting this done. Right. Oh man, you're going to fucking heal me out on this one. So, I'm not saying that Kevin Nash isn't upset about the passing of his son like any father. I'm, I couldn't imagine the pain he felt whenever Tristan passed away. That that would be an unimaginable pain. I couldn't imagine losing my daughter in the way that he lost his son, and it's a very unfortunate situation. And I'm sure he has so much pain in his heart, and I have sympathy for him for that. In my opinion, looking at that tweet. You know about advertising for podcasts. We do a show together. They say that 
the 100,000 subscriber mark is the magical number to start making the real bang from podcasts. To me, it feels like he used his son's death to boost his numbers. I'm not saying that's the case, but that's how it feels like to me. You know, I'm happy he did this for his son. And I'm sure to an extent there was a part of it that was like that. But, I mean, perception is reality in some cases, and everybody perceives things differently. I don't know. I think I think you are way off base there. And if, you know, certainly if you've listened to the show since uh, Tristan, and they call him T, since T died, um, you know, it, it's been a difficult listen a few times in multiple shows, and he never stopped doing the show, um, which was remarkable in of itself. But uh, And I'm not saying that he didn't feel that way about his son passing away. Trust me. Like I said, the fact that he was able to continue doing the show through all that, I mean, hats off to him. And I, like I said, I'm sure he felt some way about his son passing away. That's an unimaginable pain. Especially, you know, he obviously loved his son. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side of that is what I was saying. Is that you put that on people as a cash grab it feels like almost and I feel comfortable saying that and I know you think I'm off base with this because as broadcasters as the show goes on you push forward regardless of the situation it hurts it's painful and it sucks but at the same time do you not see how that could be construed as using tragedy for profit I can see how one might think that, but I just, in this case, I don't see it. I, I think, I haven't seen one person, even in the shitty wrestling Twitterverse, really imply that at all. Um, it it just seems to have been yeah, let's let's get this done for T, and that it really was doing it for him and his legacy. And I think the fans responded accordingly. I don't know. I mean, sure, yeah, it's going to benefit Nash and Sean Oliver and ad-free shows. But I, I think to a certain degree, I mean, we all, we all love Conrad Thompson. And I think so far his approach to things has been above reproach. So, you know, I, I, I just don't think there's any way that that's a thing for it. I think this is a fantastic thing that has happened. And absolutely great. Great for Kevin Nash. Great for the podcast. Great for T. And I think I think that's where this should sit. All right. We'll go ahead and move on to our next topic. And this is a big one. William Regal, after being hit from behind with brass knucks uh, by MJF after he debuted the Burberry title, which was great has seemingly done with AEW and will be returning to WWE, according to many, many reports. None of this completely confirmed yet, but it does seem like this is pretty much a dumb deal. Uh, What do you think of this news and what it means for both the AEW and WWE locker rooms? You know, I think we expected this, right? Going into War Games, Survivor Series, Triple H. Um, tweeted, you know, it wouldn't be War Games without and had the uh, video compilation of every time William Regal said War Games. 
Um, with, they're still very buddy-buddy. Unfortunately, it looks like the Blackpool Combat Club is dead and buried, despite them trying to push this weird tag team with Claudio Casanoli and Willer Yuta. They're wrestling tonight on TV. We're going to see Willer Yuta on Dynamite for the first time in how fucking long? Talk about an oversaturated roster. Anywho, yeah. I think it's great for Regal. I hope he has an on-screen role when he goes back to WWE. He's obviously proven that he can have an on-screen presence more than just being a general manager of NXT uh, through his management of Blackpool Combat Club. Or, hear me out, just put him on fucking commentary because, my lord, you know, I'm going to miss the long storm long-term storytelling between Excalibur and William Regal. I was just That's about a to love bring story that better than Ty Light. Yeah, that's so, <laughs> one of the highlights, oddly, for sure. Um, but, um, yeah, so... I'm excited for him. He deserves... He, he deserves to be happy. I'm not going to say he deserves to be better, because I don't think he was used poorly in AEW. Um... God damn, I was really curious to see what a uh, faction led by William Regal and MJF was going to look like. But then when you go back and you listen to that promo, because you are all th- fickle, you'll find a way to hate me again. And sure as shit, within minutes, he gave us that reason. And uh, yeah, god damn, that new AEW title is ugly as shit. But I like the way they're going with MJF. Kudos to William Regal, all the best. Thoughts and prayers. Yeah, I love I love how they tied it into William Regal here. They knew he was leaving, obviously, with slipping MJF the brass knucks. Then, you know, a week later, having MJF do what he does and turn on Regal himself. And I think it's a good way to write him off TV if that is, in fact, what's happening. There was a report. Apparently, Tony Khan did say he will address the William Regal situation tonight, or will be addressed in some form or fashion. So, you know, I don't know if that means, hey, he's gone, or if it means, you know, in story, at least, I assume it will be addressed. Listen, professional wrestling is weird nowadays. This would not be the first time in the last couple weeks that somebody got killed off on a wrestling show. But we'll talk about that in quick jabs. (laughs) But, uh, you know, there's a lot of speculation about what happened, and we'll get into a little bit of that in the next story that ties into all this. But as far as William Regal's future in WWE, obviously he has a great relationship with Triple H. And I think that's a big part of this. He's He gets a chance, likely back in NXT, uh, working with Shawn Michaels, I would imagine, in there, and working directly with talent that learns and wants to learn. And again, we'll, this all ties into the next topic. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, he, he didn't seem to be, despite being used fairly well on TV, I think we all can agree with that. He's been great. And that, MJ, that promo with MJF a couple of weeks ago and, and this whole ending thing, the stuff with putting the Blackpool Combat Club together was great. And and obviously him on commentary with Excalibur was just so much fun all the time. But hopefully WWE does use him a little more on screen. And I would imagine, 
you know, assuming that's what William Regal wants, if he wants to be on screen, or maybe he doesn't, I don't know. But assuming he wants to and is willing to be on screen, I think he's invaluable as a character, and I think he's invaluable behind the scenes in the locker room, especially with the younger guys. And it's to me, it's a no-brainer for WWE. I think it, it also came out that this was the one Triple H was really pissed about when they let him go. So, and I can I can agree with that and see why. Uh, but this will segue and what I was talking about there into our next topic, which is the AEW roster and a lot of what the vets have been talking about and the old-timers that have been or were a part of the company and how some of their stars, their younger stars, take advice or don't take advice um, in trying to get better and better themselves and get better at the uh, art of professional wrestling. I want to know your thoughts on all this that has come out. We've heard Billy Gunn come out and say, yeah, there are a lot of people. They don't even approach me. I'm there. I'm a vet. And it's rare that anyone even approaches and asks, asks me anything. You know, we know that this was a frustration with CM Punk, one of the many obviously, that he had, and that this is apparently a big part of why William Regal has left. I mean, they say he immediately regretted joining AEW, according to Ringside News here, Um, and that he said there was, a first off, a a lack of maturity among the management, which I think we've all seen, but... Cocaine is a hell of a drug. (laughs) But also, you know, and we'll, I want to get to this tweet. Let me move it over here by uh, Justin Labar, who uh, is with the Wrestling Inc. and Busted Open Radio. And he said, so what I'm picking up is Regal with AEW, Regal is done with AEW, back to WWE soon. Close with Triple H, but also his wisdom and coaching not appreciated or received the way you would think by some in the AEW locker room who feel they have six-figure multi-year deals and Regal's advice is behind the times or beneath them. And they're already, you know me, and you know exactly who I'm thinking they're talking about right here. Uh, Brian Pillman Jr., who's not one of the six-figure deal guys, obviously. He's lower on the card, but he's, uh, he's a guy who you would expect would listen to a William Regal with his pedigree. He says this is not entirely true. There are several several of us, myself included, who spent multiple hours before TV working with Regal and learning from him. Should there have been more? Maybe. But he and Brian Danielson always had a solid audience around the ring before TV. And he would go on to say, I know you said some. I just didn't want the narrative to be that he was standing there preaching to the air. Some days there would be 10 guys out there soaking it in. Some days it would just be me and Wheeler Yuta and Lee Moriarty. I didn't mind when his attention wasn't spread as thin. And I, I think this makes sense. It's the guys like Pillman Jr. and and Wheeler Yuta and some of those younger guys, I would imagine, uh, were very much, who haven't been on TV as much, we're very much sitting there wanting to learn, going to, taking advice from Punk, taking advice from Billy Gunn, 
uh, listening to William Regal, to Brian Danielson, and some of these longtime successful vets. And yet, you, know, you can see the pictures that I have there. I don't know about Sammy Guevara. Maybe, maybe not. He seems just <laughs> that punchable face. But we all know what Hangman Page himself has said publicly about taking advice from old-timers. And you got to imagine, you know, the elites and maybe even Omega because they see themselves as such big stars already. Why would I want to take the advice of some old dinosaur? I want to know what your... And this, this is all stuff, and obviously it's come to a bit of a head here with the William Regal situation. But this is stuff that's been out there for a long time. It was kind of in the ether with the CM Punk situation. Uh, Billy Gunn's talked about, a little, about it a lot, and there have been other people that have mentioned it. What do you think <clears throat> of these wrestlers in AEW, the AEW locker room, particularly the bigger... The ones who consider themselves bigger stars, some of the bigger stars in AEW say, hey, I'm already here, I'm drawing, I'm making money. Why the fuck do I want to listen to a William Regal or a Billy Gunn or a CM Punk? What do, you, what do you think of that? Before I get into this, why don't you talk a little bit more about why you have CM Punk down there in the picture? Because we know that's a big part of this, right? What do you mean? Well, you have CM Punk in the picture about taking advice from old timers. Mm -hmm. Are you stating that he's an old timer? Yeah. All right. Someone with a lot so, of business. He's been wrestling since he was, what, 17, 16? Getting his start in the backyards, but that's a different conversation for a different time. Agreed. Anyway, for the last six years, we have been hearing in the political sphere that the rich old white men who have been in control for the longest time are ruining the nation. When Undertaker went on the Joe Rogan podcast, nobody should listen to the Undertaker. This is a different time. Remember that whole rah-rah bullshit? Mm-hmm. All right. So why are you telling me, and this has nothing to do with Regal, this part, but why are you telling me people who were self-made, broke into the business by themselves, got over on their own, have been drawing millions by themselves, were offered a company based off a bet with Dave Meltzer, all done by themselves, going to take advice from a guy who tucked his tail between his legs and left professional wrestling for seven plus years when the landscape of professional wrestling had changed so much in that time. Changed so much that it's... Uh... Bleeding viewers, sure. You're down to your uh, hardcores, and that's pretty much it. We talk about it all the time, especially with I AEW. Would, how how many I AEW fans are casual fans? Almost none. Oh, let me finish. Let me finish. So you're telling me? Oh, let's just touch on that for a second. So when there are weeks where AEW is beating raw viewership, because it happens, you're telling me that that's just hardcore fans. When, when they're has, breaking million when has AEW, they they have trouble for their biggest shows. They may hit a million viewers. They never they never beat Raw. I think you need to go back and look at some of the demographics. But okay, now as far as Regal's concerned, did he come in to be an on screen character or a coach? Was he hired specifically to be a coach? Was Daddy Ass hired specifically to be a coach? He is, yeah. All right. 
Billy Gunn is a coach. Correct? Yes. William Regal, was he hired as a coach? Was he hired as a coach? I don't know specifically if he no. was hired as a coach. He was hired as on-air talent. Okay. But you, you right. also you also hire a guy like William Regal because of his knowledge that you want to have in the locker room. If if you're if you're a young bucks, if you're a Mick, Matt or Nick Jackson, or if you're a hangman Adam Page, and yeah, I'm on national TV with AEW, this upstart company, and I've made a bit of my name for myself in the in the indies. But wouldn't you continue to want to get better? Yeah, okay, I'm making money right now, but what if what if I add this little piece to my game? And take from this person over here this piece of advice. Maybe ignore this piece of advice because I don't think it works for me. But start incorporating that stuff into what you do rather than just saying, yeah, fuck all that. that. That's stupid. In any line of work, that's just stupid. If you're doing something and you want to grow and get better, shouldn't you be listening to the people that have been there before? Pro wrestling as a business, you can talk about how it's evolved and... I would argue, and again, this is me and, you know, a lot of people who talk about this, it's it's become very fake. A word that was, <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's so much, there's no attempt to even try and make you believe anymore. It's all so obviously choreographed. There's no story being told. It's just a dance routine, especially with some of these guys that we're talking about here. And I think that's where you got some of these vets that are like, hey, if you do this way and you can make the crowd do this and you go a little slower and you sell and you do this, you can get the, you can you can really draw that crowd in rather than doing just a whole bunch of high spots. And then the crowd chants, this is awesome. Fine. But OK, what have you really made? the crowd invested or do they just want to see a whole bunch of high spots and a whole bunch of dangerous moves oh god the irony in this is just so fucking tense 1994 video game awards aired on tbs and there was a segment on that show that included william regal steven regal wrestling brian pillman composed to an orchestra yeah, I saw that. I mean, come on, dude. You just called it a dance, and you bitched about it. But meanwhile, the people you're bitching about that people aren't learning from is doing exactly what you just said. Were they really? Have you seen that match? They were trying to put out. They they put on. They put on an actual wrestling match. What the Bucks and the Death Triangle are doing right now has nothing to do with wrestling, really, in my opinion. Brian Pillman Jr. and Steven Regal wrestled a match that was composed to a fucking symphony. Are you kidding me? Not Junior. No, not Junior. Brian Pillman Sr. (laughs) R.I.P. Godspeed. Wrestled a match that was composed by a fucking orchestra. A symphony. That is literally what you just said that you hate about professional wrestling. And and they hated it too, but... There are certain things you do in TBS and all this stuff, and I get it. They still put on a match, and they still made it look real as much as they could. This is, you're going out there and and acting. You're, you're oh, God, now I'm sounding like Jim Cornette. But you're going out there, uh-huh. and you're, and you're play, play wrestling. You're, you're not actually wrestling. You're going out there acting like you know what you're doing. 
And then you happen to make a few bucks and you get on national TV when a billionaire gets behind you. And now you think you're king shit. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I think they're terrible goddamn wrestlers. I really do. Well, now that I got you here, Corny, let me just say, because I've always wanted to say this to your face. How fucking dare you make fun of deathmatch wrestling when you thought it was a genius idea to hang off a fucking scaffolding and drop and break both of your fucking knees? I wish you could have never walked again, you stupid racist old son of a bitch. Wow, I'm happy I got that off my chest. Whew. <laughs> I think deathmatch wrestling is ridiculous and stupid. Um, I think we can go back and maybe on CWR watch some of those scaffold matches. They were... Those scaffolds were rickety, man. They're scary to watch. Oh, yeah. But, (laughs) you know, the funny thing is, I actually independently, because I wanted to compare the two, I watched the Legion of Doom versus, or Road Warriors versus the Rockers. I went back and rewatched that match. Yeah. That was was 87, if if I'm not mistaken. And then I went back and watched uh, New Jack versus Vic Grimes, the match where he infamously tried to murder him. Uh, yeah, there there wasn't much of a difference in how sketchy that scaffolding was. <laughs> yeah, and and look, I'm not saying wrestling was always perfect back in the day. You know, the scaffold obviously <laughs> was over the top, and I I think there are some things that have improved, and we talked about it earlier with uh, with. Um, Barry Windham and the fact that he has to have a GoFundMe for these medical bills. Today's wrestlers, you know, it's not where it needs to be yet. You know, maybe there should be. We're getting there. We're getting there. You know, I think there needs to be a union of some sort for wrestlers uh, so they can collectively bargain some of this and get actual health insurance. But, you know, saying that you're going to vote for Yang Ventura? 2024 just based off the fact that they're trying to unionize pro wrestling as a political agenda oh goodness <laughs> oh goodness uh but uh there's you know there there's certainly there's there's no doubt and the amount of time spent on the road the fact that i mean jesus one of the reasons cm punk did leave wrestling seven eight years ago was because he couldn't get time off and he was injured and all this stuff. And that was a thing that was just expected from you back in the day. And it's a thing that's improved now. You can get time off. You can, you, and hey, as as stupid as it sounds, it's actually better for you to step away every now and then. You said it yourself, the Bucks are kind of stale on TV. So, because they were just on it so often. So, and I, that has nothing to do with, you know, my, why I think the Bucks suck. But, but, you know, okay. stepping away from TV and from the ring can be, you know, here, you know, uh, Sasha Banks and Naomi have been off TV for a while. We just saw pictures of Naomi and Jake Cargill together at a basketball game, which was interesting. Maybe we can talk about that in uh, Quick Jabs next. But, you know, Sasha's been off TV for a while. Imagine the pop when she comes back. She'll be huge. She'll have a big story, and there'll be a run. Same thing with Charlotte Flair. She's been off for a while. It's going to make her that much bigger. Charlotte was probably pretty stale. And now people will be excited to see her back. So being off TV and things, things have gotten better in wrestling overall. I think portions of the style, and you see less of it in WWE because 
in WWE, you have to kind of do their style of wrestling or they're not going to put you on TV. But the sort of, and I used the word indie-rific earlier, of just spot fests, no selling, you know, that's only going to get you so far. And I think you can say what you want about how some people love it. It's not going to grab a mass audience. I'm sorry. And what these guys are doing, trying to, hey, if you just take your time a little bit longer, sell a move, you do one of these big moves off a ladder or something or out from the top rope onto the floor, don't jump right back up and get and just work to your next spot. Let it breathe. Let the moment breathe. Let the fans go, holy shit, for a moment. And then you build yourself back up to the next spot. Don't just climb up a ladder and do the next one again. And, you know, I think that's the advice that is that they're not taking along those lines. And that would make their matches so much more watchable for me. And I think for a majority of uh, wrestling fans who have lapsed and who maybe check out AEW, they see that shit and, you know, "Ah, no, no thanks. So... Do you realize that a majority of the people who do what we do with a much bigger audience on YouTube and podcasts rank the pay-per-views? And they go, big four pay-per-views in WWE versus the four pay-per-views that AEW has a year. Mm -hmm. And consistently on every basis across the board, except for maybe our show if we did this because we'd have a difference of opinion. Up until SummerSlam of this year, AEW rocked the shit out of WWE when it came to quality of pay-per-views. And that was a general consensus amongst those on the internet who do what we do. Mm-hmm. When you look at it in that perspective, it is hard to look at a bunch of guys and tell them that they are wrong for doing it the way they do it. Okay. Metacritic... You know, when you have the actual fan base invested in storylines, and I know you think there's no long-term storytelling in AEW, but truth be told, the long-term... I don't know if I agree with that. That's not something I've ever said. We've had discussions before about this. Because, I mean, Hangman Page, I mean, you could say it maybe didn't end as well as it should have because certain bigger stars were coming into the company with names. And at that point, you wanted to see a Brian Danielson or a CM Punk versus a Kenny Omega more than a Hangman Page versus Kenny Omega just because of the the name power. And at that point, Hangman Page had inexplicably disappeared from TV. You know, he had some issues that he had to go take care of, and he was off TV for a while, and that cooled him off. But there was that run of, of Hangman Page versus the Elite and his drinking and all this stuff that was, I think, very well done from a storytelling perspective as far as outside the ring. I can't speak for inside the ring. I wasn't watching AEW that much back then. But, you know... It was told very well in the ring because the problem was they had display that he was drunk while wrestling. Much more tastefully than what WWE did with Road Warrior Hawk back in the day. Or WCW with Scott Hall. Oh, yeah. Fuck, I forgot about that. Ugh. But, uh... Yeah, it's it's one of these things where digest. Yeah, (laughs) it's one of these things where 
you know, I don't understand why you wouldn't take advice from people that have been there before. Even though the business, you could argue the business has changed from an in-the-ring standard. The way you want to present some of that stuff, you still want to... The way you... uh, The psychology when it comes to... And I'm not talking about ring psychology as in, you know, a Bret Hart pounding on the leg through much of the match so he can finally put in the sharpshooter and make you tap out. I'm talking about psychology as far as getting in the fans' heads and taking them on a ride as opposed to just constantly being up here. You want those moments where they're down so you can build them back up to a fever pitch. Rather than if they're up, they're always going to be here where you can bring them up to here and then back down and then back up. And I think that's what's missing This goes to show you how little you actually watch AEW matches. There's been a long-running ring psychology with the Young Bucks, believe it or not, since fucking New Japan about Nick Jackson's back. Again, we're talking about different forms of psychology here. That's not what I'm talking about. But it's something that's, oh my God, is he going to be okay? Is he going to power through? He powers through the match. And then they That's... work on that as a part of the story for a few months, and then he goes away for a little bit, comes back, backs better. Eventually, the back goes back in the bullshit again. And that's not what I'm talking about. That's very different. I'm talking within the context of a single match. I'm not talking about over shows and over weeks and months. I'm talking within a single 5-minute, 10-minute, 20-minute match, however long you want the match is, giving them the ups and downs where they go, holy shit, look at, oh my god, that jump. But then you you let them ride that wave a little bit, take it back down and let sell, so that when you eventually bring them back up, it's a bigger up than it was before, rather than being at this f- relatively even kind of, hey, jump right into a next dive, right into a jump off the top rope, right into a ladder spot. And, you know, I think... That's where we're missing each other here and the difference between those two styles of matches. And I prefer the one where you're telling a story and you're you're bringing the fans along for a ride rather than just being nonstop. we got to keep the energy going. And we're not missing each other that much because I like both styles. I'm mm-hmm. not going to say one's better than the other, but going back to my point that I've been making, this is what professional wrestling is now. It's hard there's to disagree a much with larger, it. it is certainly what much larger, AEW and indie wrestling is, and yes. it's infiltrated infiltrated New Japan as well. But and it's infiltrating WWE as well as well. I mean, like it or not, to dude, my chagrin, yeah. With Triple H taking back over control of the company, he's now back in control of NXT. If you believe any of the rumors, and this is the reason why I want to talk about it in the quick jab because I knew this would get brought up for this segment. WWE's NXT is looking at going back to poaching and new talent again. Oh, of course. This is one of Triple H's goals of domination. The NIL deal program is basically dead in the water for WWE right now. Yeah. Why would you want a bunch of green kids that aren't going to draw you money when you could buy out the name and contract of someone from New Japan? I mean, not so much Ring of Honor anymore. Potentially GCW, maybe Impact. There could be a working deal there at some point. And bring them in and have them as a shock debut in NXT. I would argue the NIL deal isn't necessarily dead because 
I think there are people within WWE, and I don't know if Triple H is one of them or not, who might go, oh, here's a guy we can train from scratch. Because if we get one of these other guys who think their shit don't stink, they're not going to want to listen to us. And they're not going to want to present wrestling the way we want it presented on our screens. So you could you could argue back and forth. I'm not saying there isn't... And I just we just talked about Ricochet. And I think he's a prime example of of fitting into the WWE style and learning that way of wrestling more than the stuff he was doing before. Oh, God. I think the one thing that you're missing here, man, is just one simple name. Terra Rising. Triple H was that dude. I think everybody forgets that. He was that Roderick Strong. He was that Adam Cole. What do you mean? What do you mean by Roderick Strong? What do you mean he was that? As far as because... a name from a different company that comes into WWE and has to be the WWE wrestler. Meanwhile, if you forget, because I don't think you were watching NXT at the time, they were changing what it meant to be the WWE guy at that time. There was no specific style of wrestling. We see that constantly on the main roster with Sami Zayn. We see it on the main roster with Kevin Owens. We, to an extent, still see it with Ricochet. We still see it with Gunther. Gunther's style of wrestling is how he's always wrestled on the indies. Kevin Owens' style of wrestling is how he always wrestled as Kevin Steen. I mean, there's no... Not entirely. There, there is a slight difference, with, especially in the Vince days. Bro. Where the way things were presented on TV, and I'm not defending this, but the way things were presented on TV was very specific in the way they wanted their wrestling to be was a style of wrestling. And it, it, it could get faster paced, obviously, as time went on and more athletic. But there was still a way they presented it. There was a WWE style. And now, yes, in just this year alone, we've seen a progression. But have you never seen a Kevin Steen match in Ring of Honor? Have you never seen a Gunther match in Progress? Like, have you ever watched these dudes wrestle anywhere outside of WWE? Uh, KO, no. Gunther, I've seen a couple of stuff on the network, some of his older stuff. But that's on there. But Oh, I, I know what we're adding to the CWR pool next time. But, uh... Point being is there's no are you difference. Are you saying there's... Because Steen was working with Cornette in OVW back in the day. And Cornette hated him back then, loves, loves him now. Yeah. So there's obviously been some growth there from a... I, I love what Kevin Owens is doing now. If you take me back to what he was doing as Kevin Steen, and you'd have to show me. But you're saying there's been... He hasn't changed at all. No, exact same style. Exact same style. I think what it was with Cornette was it was a personality thing. Maturity growth. Sure. Sure. I mean, there's always that with Cornette. But I don't think Kevin Owens is still a panda. I don't think Kevin Owens is still a panda enthusiast. I don't know. I haven't asked him, so I don't know his take on it. But if you get it, you get it. And I think that's about the only difference we have with him. When fucking Chris Hero was in NXT as Cassius Ono, which, by the way, talk about fucking fumbling a goddamn football. His style had not changed one bit from when he was on Ring of Honor television. I, 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 I think 
I think I'm. I want to go back and watch some of these matches because I, I, I have a feeling I will be able to say no. That that's changed, and this the way he does this has changed. I guarantee it. All right. Well, we'll put it in the polls for next time. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get it up there. All right. Uh. All right. We'll we'll go ahead. I think this is a to be continued on this discussion. I think we'll uh, put a pin in this right here, and I think this is a thing that'll come up every so often. And we'll see where we go with this. Uh, up next, we'll go ahead and jump to our quick jabs to the face. Uh, I only had, and I didn't even have any until we mentioned the Naomi Jade Cargill pictures uh, at a basketball game. Do you think this means anything? I mean, do you think MJF hanging out with uh, Liv Morgan means anything? And do you exactly. think that... Sasha Banks hanging out with Hoovy means anything? Do you think the fact that Charlotte's married to Andrade means anything? I think we put, as a society, and this is just, this goes far beyond professional wrestling. I think we, as a society, put too much emphasis on who's in a picture with who without understanding context behind it. Um, It's possible for people being in different wrestling promotions still being friends. I don't know if anybody knows what kayfabe is. Obviously, we don't have it as much anymore thanks to social media. But uh, believe it or not, about three years ago, Kevin Owens, AJ Styles, Adam Cole when he was still in NXT, and a whole bunch of other WWE wrestlers for that matter, were all on an episode of Being the Elite filmed in Canada. Guys under WWE contracts. Did that mean that they were going to jump over to fucking Ring of Honor in New Japan to say goodbye to the Young Bucks when they were leaving for AEW? Fuck no. Does MJF taking a picture of Liv Morgan mean he's going to WWE? Absolutely not. He was probably trying to get some ass, and if he hit it, he hit it good on him. But that being said, like I said, God damn, that would be a great match to see. I think Naomi is an extremely underrated wrestler. I think that Jade Cargill is blowing expectations right now on what she's been able to accomplish in the ring. Um, kind of wish she wasn't in a fucking weird feud with Lil Bow Wow right now, but that's not <laughs> the point. Um, so, yeah, I, I think people put too much stock in shit like that. I agree completely. I, I don't think there's any real meaning here other than, hey, let's post these on social media because we know they'll blow up. But, uh, yeah, I, I just think they went to a basketball game together. And who knows? I don't know if they knew each other, how well they knew each other before, but, you know, I, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't think it has any meaning of whether or not Naomi's going to come back to WWE or if she's talking with AEW. Or, I don't think it has any bearing on that one way or the other. Uh all right, uh, were there any uh, anything you wanted to talk about here for quick jabs? Yeah, um, it appears if anybody saw Raw Monday night, uh, Austin Theory hit a very awkward looking hurricane off the top rope that looked like uh, could have potentially been really bad for Mustafa Ali on the landing. It's come out now that Austin Theory has been profusely apologizing. To the point where somebody backstage says it's annoying. Um, good on him for the growth, though, and realizing that you kind of fucked up a little bit. 
and uh, taking responsibility for your actions. This is something I think everybody should do in professional wrestling. I think this is something Bret Hart should do and quit ragging on Goldberg so much for an incident that happened over 25 years ago. Um, but yeah, good on Austin Theory. Happy Ali is safe. And that's that for that one. Um, the other one I have is our boy Aaron Riff over at NoDQ.com uh, is reporting that a deal is all but done for former Triple H guy to come back. Eric Young, um, recently on Impact, his, he's the leader of a group called Violent by Design. Um, very awesome group. Uh, prayers with Joe Doring. He's one of the members that's currently going through some medical, I believe, cancer issues. Um, but another stable member, Cody Diener, uh, had a vignette segment with them where they were in prison and Cody Diener legitimately fucking shanked Eric Young so many times that, again, unless he has Rey Mysterio's necromancer on speed dial, homeboy ain't coming back to TV from that one. And that is what's fueling the fire right now, the belief that Eric Young is coming back. If you ask me, giving uh, Nikki Cross the old sanity music as a theme song even though she had her own version cut when sanity was a thing is also another kind of indicator she's wearing the old sanity gear again she's using the sanity music i think we're going to be seeing eric young back on wwe television very soon uh possibly yeah i've seen those reports too and i would i would be all for that uh when it comes to austin theory and mustafa ali Deal. Uh, I do want to point out that Fightful Select has reported that there is no heat between the two. So Austin Theory is being Good. really apologetic and he's doing everything right after a botch in there. And Ali, thankfully, was fine. And, you know, there's there's no problems in the locker room. No heat on Austin Theory, thankfully, there. If you remember, though, Ali took two really nasty neck bumps back to back after that fucking hurricanrana. I mean, that, that was pretty hard to watch. Yeah. Thankfully, you know, they're professionals and they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. But it looked rough. Yeah, it certainly did. All right. I have a final quick jab. Go ahead. Cain Velasquez, as everybody know, former UFC heavyweight champion, um, posted bail for the attempted assassination of somebody who raped his underage daughter or niece. One or the other. One or the other. I don't um, remember exactly. He returned to AAA over the weekend. Yeah. And he got the Road Warrior pop. Really? Oh, my God. If you can go back and look at the video, it's all over the internet right now on Twitter and everything. The pop that fucking Cain Velasquez got coming back to AAA was incredible. So, uh, happy to see Cain's out on bail. Hopefully, he gets... Not guilty. And hopefully he works with firearm instructors, so that way his aim will be more accurate. <laughs> All right. On that note, that will finish this episode of The Buckle Bomb Show. Tony, any last words? <sighs> Fuck you, Cornette. Well, I know I'm not going to be taking your advice. I'm too big a star for this shit. But... I want to know what you guys think. Let me know. Go down into the comments down below and tell me what you guys think of AEW stars taking or not taking advice from veterans. Do you think they should? Do you think they shouldn't? 
Let us know down below. Be a part of our conversation. We want to hear from you. All right, Tony. I'll see you next week. Later, buddy. The preceding announcement has been paid for by Bomb Media Productions.